Hey guys, this is Billy Hansen, and welcome to the Lynchburg Neighborhood Podcast. This is a podcast about the Lynchburg area, its people, and its history. I found that the more I get to know my neighbors, really get to know their stories, and the more I understand the history and the backstory and how things work here in Lynchburg, the more connected I feel to this place, and the richer my life becomes. So join me in exploring the Lynchburg neighborhood. Today is April 13th, 2020, and it is great to be alive and living in Lynchburg, Virginia. For those of you that are regular listeners, you know that one of my big interests is learning about Bev Cosby and all the ministries and organizations that he was involved with, particularly when it comes to affordable housing in places like Camp Kumbaya, which had the first integrated cafe and the first integrated pool. And we've heard other people talk about the summer of 1961 and when the city of Lynchburg demolished all the public pools in Lynchburg rather than have them be integrated. And how in response, Camp Kumbaya opened up the first integrated pool. And I've always thought, man, it would be so cool if we could talk to one of the kids who came to Camp Kumbaya right after it opened. And a few months ago, just through happenstance, I learned that someone I'd known since I was a young child was actually one of those kids. And I asked if I could sit down and interview him and talk to him about his life. And it was such a joy for me to sit with him and learn about his life growing up in Lynchburg and some of those big events. Here's my conversation with Rodney Ferguson. I am Lawrence Rodney Ferguson. I'm 69 years old, and I grew up in what's considered downtown Lynchburg on 1401 Taylor Street. 1401 Taylor Street, okay. Which is uh, three, four blocks from Dunbar, which was Dunbar High School at that time, and one city block from the Hunting Branch YMCA, which was a black the black YMCA in Lynchburg. So what year were you born? 1950. 1950. Okay. In Lynchburg. Yes. You came home to Taylor Street. That was your right. house? Did you live there your whole childhood? Till I was 12. Till you were 12. Okay. So first 12 years on Taylor Street. What's your earliest memory of Lynchburg? My grandmother's backyard. Where was that? On 1401 Taylor Street. We live with you live with your grandmother. Yeah, multi-generational house. My oh. mother and my grandmother. Okay, so who's it? so it's you, your mother, and your grandmother. Mm-hmm, my father and your father and my grandfather. Any siblings? Not at that time. Not at that time. So now, I did have a first cousin living there, like a sibling. Her yeah. parents lived in Washington. While they were up there working, they lived with my grandmother. Yeah. My grandmother was the nurturer, the okay. matron. They had the home house. Okay, what? Um, what do you remember about the backyard? It looked like a baseball field. Really? <laughs> of course. You know. Yeah. And uh, she was a gardener, hmm. a master gardener uh, of flowers. Really? And so we had rose gardens. We had, uh, I mean, just it was just beautiful. I mean, it was. she was the head of the Lynchburg Garden Club. Once again, the black part of 
there. Yeah. And that street, Taylor Street, was a marquee street for just beauty. Really? Mm-hmm. Did you help her? Yeah. Did yeah. she get you to help do chores? Because we, we're growing flowers here, my wife is, and it is nice to have a little seven-year-old boy running around because they like to pick up stuff and right. dig stuff. And, right. Yeah. Uh, I did did the clippings uh, with the plantings. Uh, and uh, once a year when I was old enough, we would go to the National Floral Show in Washington, D.C., where her other son lived. And she, she would, uh, it was big convention, and she would take it in for the three, four days and take me with her. We would do the train ride to uh, Washington. He'd pick us up. And uh, it, it was like going on a round-the-world cruise for us at that age in the 50s. You yeah. know, when you got on the train, that was awesome. You know? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, we would go up there and do that. And uh, after a while, she would just turn me loose, and we would meet back at 2 o'clock at this spot. So <laughs> I'd run around running wild, but taking in the sights and things. But, yeah, she was she was uh, very much into the floral community. And did she cut them and give them or sell them? or She, uh, no, no selling. She uh, fixed arrangements for her church. Okay. Mm-hmm. What church was that? Court Street Baptist. Did you go there with her? Yes. Yeah, when you were a kid. Yes. Okay. Um, so you're a kid in the 50s on Taylor Street. What's like a perfect summer day? School's out. What's a perfect summer day in that time for you? Well, first of all, we all had chores, so I get up early and do my chores. <laughs> what were your chores? Uh, vacuuming, clean the bathroom, uh, just normal household stuff. Okay. So uh, you knock those out. Knock those out. Then I'd go wake up my friends who weren't early birds. <laughs> then we'd go up to that wide field and play. Yeah. Oh, right, well, in the first years, we'd play in my backyard. Yeah. That's why I say it was like a ball field. We played football, baseball, everything out there. All right, so you play ball, you go to the Y, which I guess is, was that the building that's next to Dunbar? Pretty much, uh, it's, yeah, it is. If you cross the street, cross Monroe Street, yeah, then it's, it's yeah, it's on that corner. It's on uh, 12th and Taylor. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and where would, if it's hot, where you can you swim? Where are you swimming? We we would walk to the public swimming pool in Darrington. In Darrington? That's a long walk from yeah. Taylor to Darrington. Mm-hmm. Okay. We walk every day, swim all day, and walk back home. <laughs> really? Yeah. What did you... So you're there, you're playing. What did you eat? Were there concessions? Were there... Yeah, did you the, take a snack with the you? The pool had concessions. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you came with a little pocket change. Yeah. 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 What'd, yeah. You, what'd you order there? Well, you remember? Remember what you used to oh, get? Oh, yeah. The normal hot dogs, french fries, hamburgers. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. It was a fun place to be? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Man, they used to have productions. Uh, uh, they had synchronized swimming. I learned to swim there. Uh, I mean, things were segregated, but the black community had a lot of quality in it then. Yeah. Uh, the, 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 as I would say, the teachers were educators. They weren't just teachers. Yeah. And uh, everybody who was kind of like on purpose. I mean, mm. it, it was nothing that you could do on Taylor Street that wouldn't beat you home. Mm. 
<laughs> okay. And you got more. We had dial-up phones and, and community lines. But, I mean, when you got home, everybody knew what you did all day. Yeah. Okay, so when I was a kid, there's a few moments where I got what felt like to me big trouble. Now I look back, it wasn't big trouble, but it felt at the moment like I'm going to be dead. Those moments are seared into my brain. Or were there any moments when you came home and you're like, man, I do not even want to come in? Like, was there, the, you remember that big moment you got in trouble as a kid? Most of it was around if you got in trouble at school. Oh, okay. Right. You dread going home. Yeah. Uh, my mother was a teacher too, so oh, she sure. was in the network. Yeah. And uh, so, and back in those days, they could spank you in school. <laughs> really? Oh, yeah, you didn't do your homework. They would take you in the cloakroom and fan your fanny. Yeah. So the next day, you had your homework. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And it was, like I said, it was a community. Yeah. So all the teachers knew everybody. They lived in the community. Most of my teachers lived two or three blocks from us. Yeah. And so uh, it, it, it was like a, another aunt or uncle. Mm. I mean, that's what you kind of felt. You so know. they had that relationship with you and your parents, where they? Oh yeah, it yeah. was yeah, yeah. So where were you in school? Where where did you go to elementary? Oh, uh, I went to Robert S. Payne School. Okay, where did your mother teach? She taught at Dunbar during that time. Okay, and Dunbar was high school then, or middle school and high school? Middle school and high school. Okay, so you uh, went to R.S. Payne. Well, first it was just a high school. Yeah. Okay, when I was the age you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, it was a high school. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But well, see, high school was inclusive of middle school then. Mm. It was like eighth through twelfth. Mm. There weren't. There wasn't a designated middle school like that. Yeah. And what did your dad do? He was a postman. A postman. Mm-hmm. Well, what is a postman doing at that time? Are they driving? Are they no, walking? No, walk. All walk. Where was his route? Rivermont. Rivermont. That's his first route. Uh, all of five oh oh three. So he must have been in good shape. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean... Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did he like it? Yeah. Yeah. He he, uh, he really did. Yeah. Um, the, the post office that he worked out of was down by Randolph-Macon. Hmm. The one that's there on the corner there. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And he walked all the way out here with his route. They had, like, sacks they carried. Mm-hmm. Man. And, uh... It it was it, yeah he he, you know he took his work to heart you know, and so uh, all 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 his male customers all all the women were just crazy about him you know because he was a gentleman you know mm-hmm. what I mean he would bring your trash in with the mail stuff like that you know, and so uh, like Christmas man he would come home with so much stuff it was ridiculous cakes pies <laughs> corn liquor anything yeah. you know they would they would fix you up. Uh, Back back in those days, you know, people people really did look out for each other. Yeah, uh, they would tip you, you know, stuff like that. Anybody, and most people would go an extra mile. Mm. In my recollection and in yeah. my feelings, people went the extra mile to make sure everybody was all right. Yeah, man, you, you know, you can I can think back to where we've lived. And I've lived over the years, and there's something about a postman who's just got like a great spirit, like that's kind. Like, 
you you just you look forward to see you see them and they bring a smile into the office or into the right up to the house i mean right. it's a job where you can carry a lot of joy around but just think if you walked that community <laughs> yeah you really knew your clientele yeah you knew the dogs you knew the cats <laughs> right. i mean you know yeah. we walked to school and we knew the whole neighborhoods of where we walked when yeah. we walked from one side of town to the other to the pool I mean, it gave you an in-depth knowledge of your community. Yeah. You know, and that was really, really important in our upbringing. Yeah. And it, your grandparents, is that your father or your mother's? That was my mother's. Mother's parents. That we lived with, yes. Yeah. And what was your grandfather? What did, was he retired or did he, what did he do? My grandfather was, um, quote, unquote, semi-retired. Yeah. Uh, he was retired by the uh, establishment. He worked for the Virginia Hotel. He was the head uh, head porter or head uh, whatever. What I can't think. <laughs> okay. Oh yeah, like. But um, he was the head man down there. Yeah. And uh, right before I was born, or before I was born, I don't know, but right before I was yeah. born, uh, he had gotten a couple of his uh, brothers, one of his brothers, a job down there, and they got into a little trouble and he took the blame so they got rid of my grandfather he wouldn't mm. let his brother go down mm. from what i understand so from that point on he was at home and uh they had done well enough that uh he he would he was a neighborhood uh grass cutter he would cut everybody's grass around there yeah landscaper that was old school landscape he was an old school landscaper okay and uh, so he, that's what he did. And he's told me with him sometimes, you know. Yeah. He used to have those push real moors. <laughs> yeah. The, yeah. You know. And so I would go with him and uh, help him out. And then when they got the new power moors, the gas power moors, my mother and grandmother wouldn't let me go anymore. Our principal, who lived two blocks over, the principal of Robert S. Payne School, cut his toes off. With a power oh, more. Slipped on a hill and lost three of his toes. That was it for me cutting grass. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> said, yeah. No, you're not going. <laughs> okay. Yeah. You're not doing that. It was that new, you know what I mean? Just sent sh- shivers, you know. And my grandfather, of course, bought the new equipment, you know. So <laughs> oh. they, 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 he eliminated a helper. <laughs> yeah. What do you remember about that neighborhood you grew up in? Was it close? Close-knit? Oh, was it oh, sure. getting together? Uh, like, what was it, 50% of them had gardens in the backyard? Yeah. Uh, if it was an empty lot, somebody was had turned it to a garden. Oh, yeah. We, uh, we, we, there were no fences. Yeah. We'd go from yard to yard to yard. All the kids, we'd meet. We'd play football in the street or in the backyard. Or then we'd go up to the Y field once they got open. Yeah. Uh, it, it was just a real community. Yeah. And so you went to R.S. Payne, and then did you go to Dunbar? No. Because if you're 50, you're... Yeah, the year that Owen Codwell went to... Owen and Linda went to E.C. Glass in January, in the middle of the school year. Yeah. The next year, which I think was 62... We, it was a group of 25 of us, went to Robert E. Lee 
which was the white junior high school. It was just the eighth grade. Hmm. It's right up on Park Avenue, right across yeah. from Whitten. Uh, we went there for a year. Then you went to Glass from 9 to 12. So we were the first class that completely went through the second their educational system from 8 to 12 and graduated at Glass in 68. So you went to Robert E. Lee, which was Glass. It was the old Glass, right? It's the old Glass. It's the old Glass. Yeah. Then they opened the new Glass, and then they renamed it Robert E. Lee, Lee, and it was Robert a middle school. Robert E. Junior High School. Yeah. But it was just an eighth grade. There was it was just the eighth grade there. Just the eighth grade. How was how was that? Oh, crazy. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, for about three weeks, uh, I had fisticuffs after school by the big water tanks. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We would. Uh, they would. They would call us all kind of n words and. Mm. cussing and we say meet we'll meet you after school yeah. well i did me and a couple of other people yeah. and uh we, we we'd meet behind the school and we'd we'd get to settle yeah turn your head backwards and, and duke it out yeah. uh but see that was that was those were old values i mean if you, you know if someone called you a liar in those days and you weren't lying you weren't standing for it yeah uh, we didn't lie, you know. I mean, we were taught not to lie. The truth was very important. A man's word was his bond mm. when we were in the fifties, okay. And that's for all communities. Yeah, I, I'm not. This just not. A, this is the way it was. Yeah. And so uh, they would. Uh, their friends would would come back, meet us over at the. Uh, and I say us. It was just one one guy, Calista Saunders. We walked home back to a Dunbar, which is College Hill. Mm-hmm. Most of the kids that integrated Robert E. Lee with us came out of the Durrington community. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so they had groups walking that way. Everybody walked. So, see, there wasn't, no, you know. Now, some of, the, some of the white kids rode the bus to Robert E. Lee. Yeah. But we were right there. We were in an eight-block, you know, eight- to nine-block area. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, they didn't have school buses and things like that then. Yeah. So they they would ride public transportation or come in like that. So in about two to three weeks, it was settled who you would call the N-word and who not, who yeah. you would kind of respect. I mean, kind of, because it still went on all year and year. Yeah. We had a very interesting um, phys ed teacher there, Coach Everett. And like I said, this, these were different times. Yeah. But uh, if you had an argument, you'd go to the gym and he'd give you these sixteen ounce boxing gloves. <laughs> y'all, 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 he, he, okay, have it. Y'all, we're gonna sell this. Yeah. So grudges, you didn't, you didn't have grudges. Yeah. And backstabbing, dishonesty like that. Yeah. You know, you you learn to respect. It's sort of like the service. When when people go to, would go to the service. Uh, once they were, it was integrated and everything, that experience taught people that people were people. Mm. The guy next to you was who you had to depend on. Yeah. So you gained new respects for people. You you saw their qualities. Yeah. And That's you can't you don't forget that experiences like that. You know. Yeah. So you're saying, if I'm hearing you right, that what your phys ed teacher did, you thought was helpful in the sense that 
boys in particular, when they play sports together, it was all boys. When they play sports together, when they wrestle together, when they do different things, there's something about it that they come away with some respect. You think it was the right move? You're saying you like that move? Oh yeah, I I, I, I mean yeah, yeah. It taught you to be honest. Yeah, it was raw. Yeah, you know, now not everybody felt like that. You know, (laughs) I mean, everybody's not got the same makeup. You know, but like I said, what it did, it kept things out in the open. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I look from talking with Owen about this time and some other people and, and talking with you about it, I always think about as a parent, it's this really difficult situation where it's this new environment. It, it, like, what would I tell my child as they're leaving for school that day, right? Like, what would I tell them to prep them? Did, was there anything that your parents told you, like advice they gave you, or like, or some rules when you went out the door? Like, this is what we expect. Well, by the time that I went to the eighth grade, which that's when that's what that was. Yeah. You you hit a word now. You got to have the talk. Mm-hmm. Okay, it wasn't. There was a talk. There was an underlying feeling that, you know, back in the 50s, they were still lynching mm. black people mm. in the South. Yeah. So we were taught not to show off. Hmm. We you call you a show off. What they do now in athletics, you were a show off. Your dad yeah. was a proponent of that. Yeah. You know, yeah. you yeah. know, you know. That's um, right. So... what it was was as I taught Al and I tried to tell Hanson all of them you only only did 80% of your capacity Hmm. we 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 didn't want to be labeled a show off because you you could get arrested the the, the white community did not appreciate a smart aleck especially if he was black so we learned to curb our abilities to the situation so we play hard enough to, to uh, make the team. Then you play hard enough to win the game. But the dancing and, the, you know, the, the chest beating and all that stuff, no. Yeah. You know, uh, I, one time I got a spanking because I was, Dad said I was showing off. I was showing them how well I could climb a tree <laughs> just for that, you know, you know. So they kept you within a percentage yeah. Of of what what would be uh, respected or expected, so. Uh, so you felt like you had to hold back. Oh, definitely. If you were black, you you definitely had to hold back. You had to hold back on a lot of things. Your attitude, your you know, these things could get you in trouble. Yeah. I mean, big trouble, yeah. as far as the establishment. You go to senior reform school, or you know. And that was an understanding that you had with your parents. That Dude, we we grew up with that understanding. This is what you've got to do to yeah. survive to thrive. You know, to, yeah. So to when, make you, it. when you go out, you don't. You know. Yeah. What else did you learn in that house? Is there anything that you carry with you today that you learned in that house from your parents and grandparents that really sticks with you? Well, as I said, part of that was we knew we had to be twice as good as our competition. Hmm. The only way you were going to get a job over a white guy, you had to be twice as good. Yeah. So you learned to be twice as good. I mean, you learned to really get into what you were doing yeah. if you could. You know, I mean, if you had the capacity, then you, you were always stressing, I mean, striving to be uh, 
much better. Yeah. Um, so we talked about this a little bit before we, 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 we started recording, but tell me about the summer of 61. A big event happens in July with the pools, sort mm-hmm. of a citywide controversy. Can you tell me about that just from your memory? Like, uh, Well, actually, what was it? Uh, Robin, oh boy, slipping me. I don't know if it was Ford or anyway, they um went to Miller Park pool to see if they they wanted to go in and swim in the Miller Park pool, yeah. like I said, so they had that was one of three pools, so instead of integrating the pool, the city closed them all, including Deerington, yeah, they bulldozed them and just just shut shut this pool system down, yeah. And so that's when, like you said, Bev Cosby and all of them saw, thought that it was a, that was wrong. Yeah. And so they opened up the camp to anyone that wanted to come. And there was no mass going over there because yeah. he had to get there, first of all. So I was fortunate enough that I could get a ride over there. Yeah. Uh, so at 61, I was 11, yeah. So you were one of the ones... That one... was right before we went to Robert E. Lee. So you were one of the kids that went to the pool that summer to the camp to the camp pool at camp kumbaya mm-hmm. or what i don't maybe it wasn't called that then. it was it was mm-hmm. okay um how, how did you know about this camp what was your connection how did you was it from your dad working this route well or, it was kind of like they put the word out and you know being at 11 i really don't know yeah uh but uh my parents were big into uh politics it would be big, big, big. Uh, Tita Thornhill, you know that name? Yeah. That's my uncle. Oh, I didn't know that. Miss Thornhill was his mother. Yeah. That my grandmother. With the Rose Garden. Yeah. The one where, that you live with. Right. Oh, so I, didn't know I knew that. I didn't Tita and all of them from. Yeah. So I watched the whole scenario of him running for election. Uh, we were, I was big, we were big, well, we were kids uh, in voter registration. Yeah. Uh, we we were the legs of the, of the operation. We knocked on the doors. We got people out. Yeah. And then as I got older, we drove people to the polls. We were a big part of the movement. Yeah. And so uh, Bev and them were part of the movement. Right. Okay, so I guess, you know, that's how we kind of... Uh, Dr. Wesley, who lived two doors down from Orn, was his his wife was a teacher, and yeah. so my mother and her they all networked hmm. because they were educators, and so uh, it I mean word of mouth was awesome then. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, I'm telling you. Yeah. yeah that's. During that time, uh, you know, like I said, bad news travels twice as fast as good. Yeah. But it was an even race then. Yeah. <laughs> okay, back in those days, you know, yeah. both of them traveled pretty quick. Wow. So that's interesting. So I didn't, I hadn't made that connection. So your 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 parents and your grandparents are uh, involved politically in the movement. Um, what do you remember? hearing you know around the kitchen around the dinner table around the or hearing in the kitchen hearing in the house what kind of conversations it probably was it sounds like some of them were probably more serious like um yeah um i would imagine my kitchen table was a lot different from a lot yeah other folks uh first of all 
Tita was a, a mortician. That's right. Uh, so uh, he was educated to, you know, I, I grew up in an ed- educated society, so to speak. I mean, you know, on a level, yeah. if, you know, just to say that, yeah. you know. But as I was saying, as a kid, see, we didn't know, we had no conception of being poor. Hmm. As I said, everybody strived to do their best. You didn't see kids walking around with pants hanging off them, undressed, untidy. I mean, even no dirty clothes. The clothes lines all through the neighborhood were full. Mm. If they didn't have a one pair of pants, they were never dirty. Yeah. Okay, I mean, this was just the way it was in the 50s. Everybody strived to put your best foot forward. Mm. That's awesome, man. (laughs) You missed that. You know, yeah. and people don't have that pride in the work or that. I mean, I don't sense it like I did then. Yeah. You know, like I said, so you didn't know. You, you didn't, you know, I mean, you knew some people didn't have as much as you did. Some people had a wood stove. Some people had, you know, all kind of heat and things. But as a kid, you don't, you paid that no mind. Like you said, we, we were just out there playing ball, you know, yeah. hanging out, you know. Yeah. And uh, so. So the, so the pools close. Across the city, black and white. Deerington, yeah. Miller Park. Is uh, there another pool? Yeah, it was uh, out at uh, Riverside. Riverside Park. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they're not just closed; they're bulldozed. Yeah. Yeah. It was, there was no retreat from that. And after hearing you talk so lovingly about your memories of Deerington, I mean that's a sad day to see that pool oh, closed. Yeah, in, yeah. Right? I mean, Deerington was a uh, community. Uh, in itself, like yeah. you know, like I said, segregation. Of course, it's not a good thing. Yeah. Okay, but it did have a lot of merit mm-hmm. uh, in those days. I mean, that's the community looked out for each other. Yeah. The community supported each other. Mm-hmm. I mean, they had to. You couldn't go, you know, uh, to different stores, or if you did, if you went to a store, they would serve you out a window. Mm-hmm. You couldn't go in the establishment. They'd hand your hamburger out the window. Yeah. You know, so what happened was that the community itself, the black community itself, evolved into its own separate community, Mm. economically, I mean. Yeah. You know, and so we had restaurants, everything. I mean, Fifth Street, where Owen grew up off of, Man, it was like it was like New York City on Saturday night. People, <laughs> you see, people. We would sit on the porch, and people would be walking to Fifth Street. Now I'm on Fourteenth Street. They are walking to Fifth Street with the sun to go to meeting clothes on. Yeah. Okay, going to the club, going for entertainment. I mean, like I said, it just was one of those times that people. It, you didn't know what was not to put your best foot forward. Yeah, you didn't have that in you. There was no concept of that. Yeah. Going out there being trash. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. So the pools close. The next day or the next couple of days, they open Camp Kumbaya in a reaction to that, to everybody. Yeah. Do you remember your first time going to Camp Kumbaya? I mean... Vaguely. Yeah. Yes. Yes. It, it was, I, I, I remember. I, I love to swim. Okay, and so the whole thing that I went to the camp for, I didn't care about the camp. I just wanted to get in the pool. Okay, just wanted to swim. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. yeah. At that age, you know, as a matter of fact, 
for some reason, I don't, I don't recall me being 11. I don't, I don't, I, I thought I was younger than that, but who knows, you know. Uh, but I remember mingling with the kids, yeah. you know, at, at first, you know, yeah, you felt, whoa, you know, strange, you know. Because uh, like I said, they were communities. Yeah. So we really hadn't interacted with, with white people. You went to segregated schools. You went to so it was it was a big difference, feeling wise, to be uh, in the same pool with some. To be in the same surroundings. <laughs> just to say, yeah, yeah. Don't worry about the pool. Just the whole the whole <laughs> yeah, thing. Yeah. Yeah. So we'd be sitting in, but they were they were very uh, accommodating. Yeah. Uh, as I said, kids are kids. So after the first couple of days of of getting in there, you. You jail with this click or that click, depending on your abilities and what your interests were. Yeah. And so uh, we we formed some. I formed a couple of friendships. Uh, never went home with anybody. Okay, <laughs> it wasn't like that. Right. But I mean, when I when I got there, oh yeah, hey, there's Billy. You know, so you'd hang out with Billy. We swim together or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know. Uh, and then you, you go back home. <laughs> right. So it's still at that time would be very rare for. Someone to come to each other's house. Oh no, yeah, come, it, yeah. It, was, it was a little more than rare. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Almost not happening, you know. Yeah. So I've been trying. I've never, I never met Bev Cosby, but he's been this figure that's so interesting to me that I've been trying to get people's recollections. Do you remember him at that time? Do you remember him? I mean, you're a kid, right? You just yeah. want to play, but do you remember yeah. from those years him being around? Well, yeah, that was like I said, that was the first thing, you know, that I remember that he was, you know, he was out there running stuff. Uh, Bev was like dirt, man. I mean, you know, he, he. What I'm saying is, when I said dirt, I'm talking about it not in a negative sense. I'm talking about he was just like, like you go out. I don't care where you go, there's dirt. Yeah. I mean, he, <laughs> you know, three collar shirt, but never no tie, yeah. khakis, and he's always out there working with everybody. Yeah. I mean, he was he was like glue or, or glue and dirt. You know, what I mean, it was just that plain. You know. And to think that this guy had such great ideas and such great principles, and he worked it, you know, it was definitely his purpose. Hmm. And he was supported by, you know, in my estimation, but you're supported by the universe. Uh, the creator put us here to create and make things better. Hmm. You know, all, all all the other stuff that people want to split hairs about, it's ridiculous. Yeah. And so you think he was doing that? He was serving oh, he his was, purpose. Oh, he definitely was. I mean, you could, yeah. you, you know, I mean, like I said, like you could feel it. Yeah. You know, when you saw him, that you had no apprehensions yeah. about Bev. Yeah. Now, what I've heard is that he had this little spot of land that's a very special piece of land, right? There's, I mean, to have that much land that's still protected as, you know. Um, mm-hmm. Trails is amazing, but it also seems like he was out in the community in different neighborhoods. Did you see him out not just here? Well, not then. Yeah, not then. Okay, not then. Like I said, I'm eleven. You're okay. a kid, right? Okay. That's right. That's right. <laughs> okay, but that that was my first recollection of them. Yeah, as as a community, Lynchburg Christian Fellowship, yeah. which Bev was like the head honcho, so to speak, in yeah. Cosby's his whole family. Yeah. I mean, they were all into it, but anyway, he was. So the, the captain, you know, yeah. uh, he 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 ran the show, so to speak. And obviously, he had, he had they had a nice segment of the community that backed them. Yeah, you know, that's that saw the light, so to speak. 
You got to have support. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. And, and he had enough support for them to thrive. And then they got into housing, as you know. Yeah. And that's how I kind of met Herb. Yes. Herb okay. Moore. Herb. Uh, okay. So a quick note for those of you that don't know the name Herb Moore. So as I started studying Bev Cosby and his life and his work and impact on Lynchburg, everyone I talked to, I mean, everyone said, you've got to talk with Herb Moore. You can't tell Bev's story without also getting to know Herb and his story. Everyone said that Bev and Herb worked really closely together, especially on the affordable housing issues. For a reason that you'll hear later in this conversation, I wasn't able to talk with Herb. But Herb was a super special person in Rodney's life. All right, let's go back to Rodney telling us the story of how he got to know Herb. I came back from school. Uh, my, one of my mother's best friends, mother and father's best friends, was Irma and Jesse Siegfried, who had moved here. And they were from Mississippi, but they had lived in Indiana, and they they somehow ended up in Lynchburg. Yeah. Well, who knows? I never, never really got to talk to them about how the hell you got in Lynchburg. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. anyway, they uh, got to Lynchburg, and Irma landed the job working for Herb at the Lynchburg Covenant Fellowship. So that was my first experience with Herb as Irma's CEO. She was like his right hand. Mm-hmm. And uh, she was awesome. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And, uh, and all this to me is people serving their purposes. Yeah. You know, so I see how it works. But anyway, Herb was not only her boss, but they were, they, they, being on purpose, they became like that. They were they were not only employee and employer, uh, they were they were friends. They became friends. Yeah. So I would hear more about Herb than see Herb yeah. at that time. So uh, as Herb stepped down, uh, he elevated Irma, who he had trained and had trained under him, and to the next CEO. Hmm. So Herb didn't leave. He was still there and backing up the, the uh, organizations and things. So then I started to see a little more Herb because at that point in time, I was, uh, Irma had my company, which was a, a, a company is a good word, but <laughs> a two man operation basically, <laughs> one man and then two men as I got. We would uh, paint, I, w- I would paint the apartments at Lynchburg High. And I cut the grass, and at Lynchburg High, and, and we sh- all these apartments, all their apartments. And we should say Lynchburg High, where you were hired to it's do this Robert work. E. Lee. Was Robert E. Lee? Was Robert E. Lee, where you went to eighth grade and had mm-hmm. an interesting time, right? Um, boxing in the <laughs> during phys ed, and and now it's converted by LCF into, into- apartments. Yeah, apartments. For uh, underprivileged, I mean, uh, economically deprived, low I, income. I mean, what'd that feel like to be back at your old school working? And Well, I was working, man. I didn't, You're just trying to get the, done. Yeah I, yeah, I was getting things done. Okay. And then... Uh, so she hired you to do that. Mm-hmm. So you're working with them. And so I knew her. That's when I knew more about Herb and Bev. Yeah. Met them as employers so to speak, yeah. of my company. So I cut the campgrounds. 
I evolved from there. I think I've been cutting grass for them since almost 1982. So you went to your grandfather's. They they kept yeah. you away from those yeah oh, those yeah. lawnmowers oh, yeah. for, but not too long. No, you no. got back to right. Them. It was in me. <laughs> yeah, it was in me. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So uh, I I would see her see her and like I said some of these things with, with my uncle with the Voters League, yeah. the right to vote, uh, voting, working the polls. Yeah. Uh, those communities were together. You know, the progressive more or less. Who were the progressive people of Lynchburg, as opposed to the more conservative part of Lynchburg? So I met them through that, because obviously uh, Bev and them were progressive. Sure. <laughs> okay. Sure. And uh, Herb came here from Kansas City. I think it was a Kansas City, something like that. Him and his first wife Shirley. So at a lot of social events and political, political and social events. Uh, I would be there, and I would, like you said, just table talk and see them, you know. So I got to see them. They were more as mentors to me than friends. Mm. But they were such true friends that later on they became my friends Mm. because we all believed in the same things. Mm. I mean, they lived their principles. Mm. So, you know, there there was no uh, hidden agendas and things like that it's it's great to be in an environment like that Mm. and so I learned to respect that and respect them yeah and so uh anything I could do for them to help I was I was all in man (laughs) (laughs) okay yeah I was all in yeah I was all in into the political system until they elected Doug Wilder for governor Mm. And that's when I decided to get out of politics. But Local politics was great. When it got out of your locality and the people that I knew, like I was just talking about, yeah. it to me, I just saw too much, too many hidden agendas. Yeah. What do you, when somebody runs for local political office, let's say city council, what do you want to see from them? Like, who's the, like, what do you want out of that person? Like, what kind of... I, I I look for the principles. I try to see how they live. Hmm. After that, I can start listening. Yeah. <laughs> okay, up to that point, yeah. you know. And, and I think it might be a little too judgmental because you don't really know how somebody lives till you live with them. Sure. But that's some of the things I, I look for. Just their aura, how, like you, like we talked earlier. Uh, are they family orientated? The stuff I grew up, the principles I grew up with, are they community orientated? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, where'd you come from? How all of a sudden you, you know, you out here, you know, what do you know about this place? Yeah. So you become friends with Herb, and I never met Herb. And- well, now we weren't, still weren't friends, and I became uh, from acquaintance to associate. Then friends, and not like go to dinner friends. Yeah, you understand. They were friends of my parents. Yeah. Uh, like I think I'm a little older than you. Yeah. So you know when, back in the fifties, if my dad, my dad worked extra, extra jobs after he was uh, got off as a postman. You know, mm-hmm. it's sort of like now. 
uh, in the black community, everybody almost had two jobs. Mm. That's the only way you made it. Mm-hmm. it, it the, the, the pay equality was no different than it is with women now, and still is. Uh, we, you didn't make what the average American made doing the same job. Yeah. You know, so uh, by tagging along with him, like I used to tag along with my grandfather, so you know, you, you learn different little skill sets. And that's how I kind of met Herb. Like I said, when I started to work for the organization, Lynchburg Covenant Fellowship. And so then you begin to hear and see what was actually going on. When they renovated Lynchburg High, I heard about it. Mm. I, I wasn't a part of it. But then when I came back to Lynchburg from grad school and everything, and I decided to, uh, when I was working with the bank, I still, old, where you grew up, started a business cutting grass, mm. <laughs> okay, to supplement my income. Yeah. I met Herb and them with, when I was working at the bank, being the uh, minority representative for the bank, which is basically was the only one working for the bank. <laughs> so uh, I was put in charge of the housing program. So I was trained by uh, VHDA and all those places to put on housing programs on how to become a homeowner. Oh, okay. So I ran that and, uh, you know, I learned how to set up chodos and stuff like that. And also I was in charge of the minority business effort to develop minority business. So I led, I, I mean, the bank, they just gave me that job. Yeah. There was a minority. I was a minority. Go do it. Yeah. So I worked for uh, M. Carwell Butler when he would have his annual uh, minority business conference. I would be there and put put on presentations. Yeah. For the bank on what it takes to go in business and yeah. hopefully succeed. And same thing with housing. I would work with in the housing community to help people get uh, educated and in shape to buy a house. Yeah, which was a goal that I think Bev and Herb shared. Oh, definitely. That's that's what it was all about. Housing, decent housing yeah. for everybody. Do you feel like you were able to do some good there? Yeah. Yeah. It uh, made a few dents, so to speak. Uh, some of them fell by the wayside. We had the first uh, Chodo in the state was Diamond Hill Neighborhood Council. It fell by the wayside. But for almost five to ten years, we, we built a couple of houses and restored them and uh, got people in them. I worked with Julius Haskins. We were, uh, he was Diamond Hill. We, we started the Diamond Hill Neighborhood Council. That's when they were going to look. It was sort of like neighborhood watch in all the neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. And he was working with Lynn Keg then before he became director of Lincoln, before he became went to city council. Yeah. So, like I say, it's been a very interesting yeah. <laughs> step of, of events. So a, a Chodo, that's a community... Housing. Development organization? Mm-hmm. It was sponsored by the state. Yeah. And where you were able to put in for funds and things to do these things in the community. But you had to qualify as a Chodo to get the VHDA and Virginia Housing Development stuff, you know, going. Yeah. So you had to be organized. 
I've heard that word a lot, that that acronym, CHODO, because mm-hmm. not that many groups have it. And only no, it, you, it, you can only get funds if you are qualified. And right. to be qualified, you have to meet certain criteria. Right. Right. Okay. So you were the first, that was the first one? We, we were the first in the state, if I remember. Yeah. Correct. I could be wrong, because it, it wasn't many. So on Diamond Hill, you guys were um, an organization that got funds to renovate houses and put people in housing. Mm-hmm. And to educate for first-time homebuyers. Yeah. Do homebuyer education. Okay. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I never knew that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So when I, a few months ago, I went to Herb Moore's funeral. I had never met him. I had talked on the phone with him a month before, and he had said to me, I'd love to talk with you. I'm just not feeling that well. We'll get together in a few weeks. And in a few weeks, I saw it in the paper, and I thought, man, let me just go to this funeral. I never got to meet him in person. Let me just, you can hear, I mean, you can hear at a funeral a lot about someone's life. And so I sit down. It's a beautiful service. And then I, and then I looked up, and I said, there's Rodney. I hadn't seen you in so long. Right. What was that like to uh, be able to speak there and share your memories of him? Well, I was in a zone. Yeah. Uh, like I said, I, I I respected Herb so much, you know, uh, in this history, yeah. like Bev and all of them. Yeah. That's that's why we were friends. I I was more of I didn't I didn't know he considered he always said my friend, yeah. you know. But to me, he was an adult. Mm. You know, you way we was raised. You never put yourself. Your elders were your elders. Right. Okay. So. But you had elders that were just elders, and you had elders that you respected, mm-hmm. that you saw the quality and you mm. aspired to, you know. And uh, so Herb was like that to me. Yeah. A great, but he was my friend. Yeah. Uh, we would meet. Uh, the families knew each other. Um, his first wife, Shirley, uh, I knew her more than I knew Pat, so to speak. Uh, so uh, when Shirley passed, Herb, uh, had a little told me that uh, he had community funeral home, the black funeral home, uh, Burr Shirley. Hmm. And he told me why. You know, because I was working and stuff. And he he was saying, which is true, never forgot it, that Sunday morning is the most segregated time in America hmm. of any other, if you pick a time zone. Yeah. Where it's really where segregation really occurs, it's church time. Yeah. Ain't that backwards? <laughs> yeah. You know. So he said he just wanted to, like I said, the friend poke the bear a little bit. You know, he said he, he just to have a black funeral home or blacks go into the white church. Yeah. Just to open that door, no matter how or what for. Let's open this door. Yeah. So he like he he lived his purpose. Yeah. And I, I I could I could befriend anybody that's living the purpose. Mm. Yeah. You know, I just I just felt a kinship. Yeah. And so uh it went from that to I started taking care of Herb's yard. I, I was taking care of the camp and everything. He said, so he had another fellow doing his yard and he had to quit, so he came to me and said, Would you mind? Of course, Herb, no problem. Right over there, you know. <laughs> and so uh, that means I would see him about every week. Yeah. So that's how we became chit-chat friends. Yeah. 
and stuff like that. And then, like I said, a lot of uh, family gatherings up to the, before that time, he would be like at Irma's house. He would come by mom and dad's house, or, you know, for gatherings and things. Yeah. So, yes, we, we, we were friends, but not like, you know, because he was my elder and yeah. I respected that. Yeah. And so when they called me and said that Herb had requested for me to say a few words, uh, I had to sit down. You know, I, I just, where did that come from? You know what I mean? Yeah. And so uh, that that just gave me another, took it to another level for me. Yeah. You know, but it was no problem. I mean, uh, I had a couple of people ask me for notes. I said, man, I didn't have no notes. I had, a, I had like four or five things on a piece of paper that I wanted to touch on, but I, I couldn't come up with no speech. <laughs> I, well, I don't, I don't live like that anyway. I'm, I'm kind of like an off the cuff guy, you know. Yeah, like your dad. That's <laughs> right. Yeah, get your head in the game, boy. That's right. <laughs> yeah. yes. And I remember what you said. Two things that you said stuck out to me. You mentioned one that Herb liked to poke the bear, not just needlessly, but with a purpose. With a purpose, right? And then the other thing was that he always addressed the elephant in the room. Yeah. He he didn't want to let it sit or kind of avoid it. He always mm-hmm. brought it up. Right. Um, those were the two things that stuck out to me. Yeah, honesty. You just live. You, to me, you live in an honest life. Yeah. You know, I see a problem here. Now, whether I can do anything about it, but the first thing is food for thought. Yeah. I see a problem. Yeah. So let's put it on everybody's mind. Yeah. Now, what everybody does with it, but he would put it out there. And the other thing I noticed is you said he got community uh, funeral home to do his wife's funeral, wife's funeral. Sure. and that was who did his funeral too oh yeah it? he yeah. said oh it's not over yeah <laughs> yeah yeah he said oh, we'll keep this in the forefront mm-hmm. you know he, he said the perfect community would be that everybody's in the same church mm. to me you know yeah. what i mean if you're saying you believe in the same things yeah <laughs> so we've talked your childhood neighborhood. We've talked growing up. We've talked about Herb. Did I miss anything? Did I miss anything big from those eras? That well, like I said, to me, the teachers of those days, and I didn't mention my grandmother was a teacher. Hmm. Okay, she taught uh, the two room schools, where she taught like kindergarten through fifth or sixth grade. The next room was sixth grade to eighth grade, mm-hmm. you know, and it was out here in uh, Boonesboro community, uh, Merriweather School. I'll never forget it. I went to school earlier than I would have because she took me to school with her. I mean, it was her and another teacher. It was just two teachers. Yeah. And she would take me to school with her rather than me go to a babysitter or something like that while everybody worked. <laughs> so... You know, I got to witness a lot of things as a youngster, a real youngster. Mm. And uh, I guess that's why I, I love and respect women so much, because she put a couple of girls in charge of me mm. while she taught. Okay, And they were in charge, trust me. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, on, on a whole 360, you know. And so uh, I watched and I saw what power education has. You know, and as I said, back in those days, I felt like everybody put the best foot forward. Yeah. So, therefore, it enhanced what I saw, the power of education. Yeah. So, from that, 
like I said, I, I came up under a lot of educators, you know, in, in the edu- educational community. Mm. And uh, I, I saw the difference in how school was run and then how it was run after segregation. Mm. And a lot of things that I respect was lost in, the, in, the, in, the, in, in integration. Mm. The, didn't see the caring, nurturing educator. I just saw teachers. Mm. It's a difference. Yeah. It's a big difference. Yeah, how was your, we didn't talk about, how was your experience at Glass? We talked about eighth grade, but, I mean, you're touching yeah, on a little bit there. That was one of the things I had to work on, <laughs> the uh, injustices and differences. Uh, we learned to deal with them, but half of it was take it inside and let it go. Mm. But that means it's festering. Mm. Uh, there, there were a lot of things, you know. Uh, it would take me a minute because I wouldn't want to uh, speak on it without great thought. Sure. <laughs> okay. Uh, but, yeah, it, it, it was a lot of differences. I had one chemistry teacher that uh, didn't believe that we could be educated, blacks. And it was three, two or three of us in this chemistry class. And on a curve, I was the third smartest kid in the class. He flunked 75% of the class. And I flunked by one point on a curve to prove that blacks couldn't learn. I went to summer school for chemistry because you had to have it to graduate. Mm. The chemistry teacher, the third day after I was there, gave me the keys to her car and told me to run errands. She said, what the hell are you doing in here? <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, so, because my daddy was an educational fanatic, yeah. and he would do your homework with you. In other words, they put you in a room. Back in the day, like I said, you get spanking too. Yeah. And when you came out the room, you had to answer the questions to the stuff you were studying. He would open the book, say, okay, what about this? What about, I mean, you, <laughs> yeah. so, I mean, I knew chemistry like crazy. And I, I, I couldn't quote anything from chemistry neck. When I got out of there, I hated it. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> but, but I could have been a chemist at that point. So you're saying... That kind of stuff was going on. That, to prove a point, he failed pretty much the whole class. The whole class. Except for the top two kids. Two kids. Because you yeah. were third. I was third. That's just to give you a perspective yeah. of what you had to deal with every day. Was there anyone during that time? That's an example of someone that's really making you feel left out or punished. But was there anyone yeah. that sticks out in your mind as somebody that made you feel included, that showed love in that time, at school, in the school environment? It was, like I said, we had we had a greater understanding, so to speak, about the way the world was. Yeah. Okay. So I don't think there was anyone that really made us feel comfortable hmm. uh, to the extent, like you said, love. But we had some people that you could see that it wasn't setting right with them. Mm. They would do what they could. 
uh, what got us more included was the athletics. Oh, okay. Because they were winning with the black athletes. Yeah. Everybody likes a winner. Sure. <laughs> okay. So that that was that was one of the common denominators that came through. Yeah. Did you and, play sports? Yeah. What did you play? I was on the football team. So was it Coach Jimmy Bryan then? Vince. Oh. Vince. Uh, uh, it, it come to me. Bradford. Bradford. Right. Yeah. Vince Bradford. He was the coach, and they ran a single wing offense. So uh, back in the day, you had to go both ways. And uh, I came from the, from like I said, community from Robbie Lee, so to speak. We had, they, once again, segregation. We had Little League football. Mm. And uh, we had won the uh, city championship two years in a row when I, when I graduated from Robert S. Payne School. I played for the Y. I was quarterback mm. for the Y. And so... Incidentally, I didn't volunteer to go to Glass. I was volunteered by my father. <laughs> okay. Most of the other kids volunteered to go. I, <laughs> I was told that I was going. Right. Because Tita's daughter was going. Mm-hmm. It was a Thornhill's daughter. So they, they decided that the whole family at that age, anybody in the family at that age was going mm-hmm. be part of this movement. And Because uh, I was totally upset because my football coach, who was the coach at the Y, had become an assistant head coach for Dunbar. So I was ready to go to the big leagues and play football. Mm-hmm. And then when I went to Glass, they didn't even have a quarterback. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, that was that was. Just, but I still played. I didn't. I didn't give up. They, yeah. they, we, you, there was no give up in our community. You weren't taught. You know, you you, you were taught to put your best foot forward. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So anyway. Uh, the football team kind of adopted that part of the population yeah. of the blacks. So we kind of, it was almost kind of like you had a little protection, you know, yeah. or, you, you know, you had a safe place. Yeah. When you went to the locker room and y'all went to practice and everything. It's mono mono out there on the gridiron, buddy. So, yeah. <laughs> so you could get some frustrations out or you don't like me, we're going to figure this out. Right, <laughs> okay? right. By the end of the day, everybody's... It's your teammate. Yeah. So that that helped a lot. Hmm. Okay, so shifting gears. I've only ever known you as a family man. I didn't I didn't know young Rodney. I've only known you as uh <laughs> as a father and a husband. Yes, they said Alvin's dad. Alvin's dad. <laughs> That's what I'm known. Right? <laughs> Alvin's dad. Yeah. But um I, I'm curious. How did you How did you meet your wife? Oh man, that's a story. My grandmother, as I told you, was an educator. Yeah. Taught my wife in the second grade, and she was the teacher's pet, <laughs> so to speak. You know, they were they were part of the the girls that worked in the office, took over, stayed after school. You know, just and like I said. She would ride to school with teachers. Teachers would pick her up rather than getting on the school bus. They would pick her up on the way and take her to school. So she knew the, you know. So that was the first thing. That was amazing. Yeah. Um, my wife's aunt lived a half a block down the street from where I lived on 14th Street. And 
she had her cousin living there, Mr. Bill, William Bill Davis, who was my godfather, and he dated Miss Sue Fain, who was from Tennessee, who was the librarian at, at Dunbar. So you see, this educational thing was like a little community within a community. Yeah. And so uh, anyway, I first met my wife. I was handing out candy for trick-or-treat, and uh, her father and them brought her down. They lived out here in Forest. My wife's dad owned the farm that was that is Lake Vista, oh, the okay. initial nut that came out of there where the big rock is and the lake. Yeah, that's where she lived. So she grew up on a farm, not down in the. That's in what I'm saying. Yeah, okay. remember I told you her mother yeah. and father were farmers. That's right. Yeah. Okay. So they would come down. So I met her. She had pigtails and everything. So anyway, I, I recognized her. You know, and you must have been little then. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I, matter of fact, I had just come back from trick or treating, <laughs> and because they brought her down from Forest, they just went to the few neighbors that everybody knew. It yeah. wasn't like they were all over the neighborhood. Right. And so uh, we didn't have any contact after that, so to speak. Yeah. I went to elementary school, and then when I went to Glass. Believe it or not, uh, we had a major separation from the black community by going to glass. Mm. I mean, think about it. You're in school. Yeah. How many hours a day? And like when we got out of school, we had chores. It right. wasn't like you guys got out of school and went and did what you had to do, yeah. <laughs> you know. So we kind of weren't hanging out with your elementary school kids. Mm -hmm. They had their little cliques, and they were doing their thing at Dunbar. And we were at Glass, which was 25 of us. And so, uh, like, I had a job when I got out of school. You know, I, I worked at Jackson's Drugstore for Miss Blitz. Uh, Dr. Wesley got me a job down there. Mm. <laughs> you know, so it, it, it kind of, like, separated us. Mm. So now we are separate from two communities. <laughs> okay? Yeah. Uh, but anyway, to say what happened was that... Uh, uh, Dr. Boer's son, or another one of my childhood friends, Ricky, uh, we we would ride around in his brother's car. <laughs> and so one day we were riding out Rivermont, and my wife was over at one of her first cousins. And I saw her, and that was like my sophomore year. <laughs> so we, we, you know, we established a phone network, phone relationship, so to speak. And then the next year, we started to get together, and the parents, who knew my parents, who I didn't know at first, you know, that, that this was all connected. So then we just started dating. So she is literally my high school sweetheart. Oh. <laughs> that was taught by my grandmother. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, yeah, well, I, I'm thinking that she's probably a good uh, soulmate. <laughs> That's right. Great soulmate. And I good, great. Yeah. So we, we jailed, and uh, like I said, uh, jail with her parents, me and her moms was like me and my moms. Mm -hmm. Okay. And her moms and my moms became best friends. Interestingly enough, and I just it was just amazing to me. Uh and it kinda helped with the situation. My mother was ninety five when she passed. Miss Davis was a hundred and five when she passed. Wow. They passed eighteen hours apart. Miss <laughs> Davis went first. The next morning, my mom's was gone. Excuse me. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, I get choked up still. Mm. So we were able to help each other through that, so to speak. You know, but uh, they were they were chums. You know, they became chums, man. Yeah. 
And as I did, I was, you know, I loved my mama. Mm. And I loved her mother. But that's, that was old school stuff. You know, like I said, Miss Davis didn't eat out there on what the she had a garden in the back of a of a house like yours. Oh yeah. I used to till it for and do stuff, you know. Was your mother working a garden too? Nah. That was your grandmother. That's my grandmother. Okay. <laughs> I was gonna say there must be something in gardening if you're living oh, in yeah. ninety five and one oh five. Yeah, well Wait. but back in the day now, even though my mother and them weren't gardening, well, but Dad had a garden. Yeah. He, he was West Virginia. He 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 majored in uh, agriculture. And he graduated from Virginia State, but he started in West Virginia. So he always had a garden. And then, um, so, but back in the day when we were growing up, because I always say it's 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 your it's your foundation that that's, that makes you strong. You give me a good foundation. You know, a house won't stand on a bad foundation. Uh, the farmers used to come through the neighborhood every Saturday with the groceries. And my wife Peg is dad was one of the farmers. They would they would they would they would they would go all the way through and she would ride with him and they would sell their vegetables. Yeah. So we had fresh produce. We didn't have grocery store stuff. We didn't come up eating that. That is my point. So you've been eating vegetables from the Davis farm before you even knew it was from the Davis farm. Right. And during that time, I wasn't eating a whole lot of vegetables. Okay. As many as they yeah. made. Yeah, 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 right. Well, you know, we had a rule, you know, you, you, you ate everything that was on your plate. Yeah. You couldn't even get up from the table till you finished your plate. Now, if you wanted more, that was fine. But you, eat every, you ate everything that was fixed. Yeah. The first happened yeah. before you could even leave the table. But after that, it wasn't vegetables. It was another hot dog or another, you know. I was a kid. <laughs> so growing up on Taylor Street, what was your favorite meal that your family would make? That was the one you're like, oh, that's the one. I wish we could have this every day. Breakfast. My mom would fix waffles, and we'd have potatoes, sausage, and, you know, bacon. Mm. That sounds good today. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. One of the things that's come up a few times is this idea of living your life's purpose. That's an idea that I've heard you say. What's your life's purpose? I've been a more or less uh, a facilitator. Hmm. Interesting question. I used to call myself a golden gopher. Because <laughs> when, when I work with my dad, go get this, go get that. <laughs> but I would always come back with what, what was a little more than what was needed. Yeah. So uh, and so that way, I kind of became a facilitator. You know, I, I really respect education, so I'm always trying to, you know, see people learn. Mm. So I, I guess that's a pretty good description and then uh always trying to, to strive to do a little more a, a more spiritual now than actual uh world so to speak mm. you slow up when you get a little older <laughs> okay yeah yeah your knees start going out or whatever but uh between that and you know uh caretaker of the environment by being a landscaper and and stuff like that 
you know, you, you like to see things. I do like to see things grow. Oddly enough, I'm, I don't I don't I don't enjoy gardening. <laughs> okay, you, you know? get enough during the yeah, day. I had enough of that as a kid. Yeah. Okay, and yeah, and then you work. You know, I do. Yeah. Uh, wife always gets on me. You come home. You don't want to do nothing. Yeah. Hey, babes, I'm done. <laughs> okay. So I think one of the interesting things to me is that what you do now is you own and operate a cemetery. Mm-hmm. On Lakeside, what's the name of it? Forest Hill Burial Park. What's that like? I don't even know. A lot like, of I'm, work. <laughs> I bet a lot of work. Like you got to keep up the grounds. Obviously, how many acres? It's probably. It's, uh we're totally. It's about twenty nine acres. And how many of it is in? Uh, Ten of it is in right now, and I just open. I'm opening up in the process, opening up like three to four more. Yeah. Uh, and I've never really thought about how a cemetery operates and that somebody runs them. They almost seem like a public, mm. like a park or something, mm-hmm. but somebody owns them and runs them and tries to it's, keep them it's up. It's a burial park. <laughs> it's a, and it's a business on some, I mean, it's a business. Yeah. It's got to be to yeah. keep running or otherwise. Right, 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 right. Somebody's right. got to take care of it. So I, I imagine, I'm just thinking about it, like, I, you must have so many burials a year where you sell so many plots because you got to have some money coming in to right, fund. Right, That's what supports it. Yeah. So How many barrels do you have? A, plots do you sell a year? I don't know. We average uh, somewhere between four to six a month. Four to six? Mm-hmm. Okay. And they're... That's an average. Some months you don't have any. Some mm-hmm. months you might have seven. Yeah. You know, so it's, you know... So as I was... Uh, that's interesting. That that cemetery was founded by Gilliams out of Rustburg, who was a white man. And it's in the charter that it was founded so that coloreds would have a place to be buried. So founded by a white man, but it was in... When was this? What time frame? It was in frame? Campbell County. Yeah. Back in the 30s. So that, that dates back to the 30s. Mm-hmm. And at that time, it was an integrated... No. Oh, it was just for... Coloreds. To be, well, I'm sure it just was no white f- folks coming out there to be buried. It was just an unspoken thing, you know. That's yeah. It's it's sort of like you know, right now it's opening up that blacks go to white undertakers. Yeah. But that was a totally segregated industry, also. So, so it was it started out of as an act of goodwill, or was it somebody saw a business opportunity? Saw a business opportunity. I think I never met the man, so it's hard I don't to say. know. Yeah, it's a, that's not a fair question. We don't know. Well, no, I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah. but like you said, it's still, it was a business, and I'm sure he didn't go into it just to bury colored people. <laughs> okay? yeah. yeah. So he 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 they started it the Gilliams, yeah. and uh, they they opened it up, and then in the 60s, 62, 65, my Uncle T. Thornhill, who was an undertaker, and uh, Mr. Charlie Elliott, who was the uh, a state, uh, what do you call it, a registered agent for the state farm agents, hmm. he, he uh, taught at Virginia State College, bought it from him. Hmm. And then, believe it or not, uh, the black community saw it as a conflict of interest because Mr. Thornhill was a mortician, so, so they thought he was soliciting to bury people. So he sold his part to my mother and father. Okay. And so I started cutting grass up there like in 1966, something like that. 
because I lost my starting position on the football team after I'd worked very hard to get it because I was cutting grass all summer. And they had, that's when they started having uh, August practices, two days. Yeah. Okay. And so I couldn't go. Yeah. Because Dad had me, but see, what they didn't realize was we had push mowers. Dad would take me and another guy named Blue. He had a station wagon. He'd put seven lawnmowers in the car, drop us off on the way to his job, going to the post office. Unload all seven lawnmowers. One broke down. He said, push it in the bushes and go grab another one. And he'd come back up there at lunchtime or at the end of the day, pick us up. So I was in shape, man. I was either at a wheel burn dirt from, from funerals. So when I got to practice, for in the fall when school started, I went to practice. I could run circles around everybody, but they had a rule: if you didn't go to the two a days, you you kind of like had to go to the back of the line. Right. Yeah. So my senior year, I ended up backing up younger guys. But anyway, how, how were you? How were you digging holes back then? Did you have a backup? Or next no, to no, 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 no. I wasn't digging them at that time. But we had they had grave diggers, pick and shovel, man. That's it, and they went six feet deep, pick yeah. and shovel. Yeah, it was like a three to four hour. I mean, a four to five hour job when you did dig grave. Did you do it eventually? No, I've I've dug two by hand, three by hand. Yeah, I dug one because the ground was so frozen. I had to go down like three feet before I could. It was like concrete. Back over just slide, so we had to pick down till we got to soft the ground. Soft the ground. Uh, I dug my daddy's grave, hmm. basically by hand. And the because other one you was weather. Why? I hit rock. So back, I didn't get a jackhammer. See, back in the day, they would they would they would even use blasting caps to get through rock. But. uh as time went on, you know, you jackhammers and stuff like that. But we used sledgehammer and pick. I couldn't afford a jackhammer. <laughs> so, yeah. So, uh, but those are the only, that's the only two I really could say I basically dug by hand myself. Your, your dad's and? Yeah, and this other one when the ground was so froze. It was two times the ground was that froze. That's what it was, yeah. Did you do your dad's because of, you felt like it was? Oh, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't, the, the guys that were helping me, I wouldn't let them. You wanted to do it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And you hit rock. Mm-hmm. I said, we, I'd gotten halfway through it with my tractor. <laughs> and I looked up. I said, damn it, Dad, there you go again. <laughs> just just won't good enough. You're going to make it. You're going to make sure I know what I'm doing. Yeah. So we, I laughed that out and kept kept getting it. I've never thought about that, but as the owner, you've had to. I mean, that's fa- you've got family in, in in your cemetery. Oh yeah, yeah. And basically, the, the majority of the old black community is there. There's so much history up there. Yeah. I mean, as far as who's up there. Yeah. Uh, Dennis, uh, mayors, principals, uh, hmm. you know, all kind of people like that. I'm trying to figure out something to uh, make sure that it goes on, you know. Yeah. How, how does a cemetery keep going if there's no 
new burial. No plots being sold. That's the, what I'm trying theoretically, to Theoretically, the state has a fund called Perpetual Care Fund. Okay. But that's theoretical. It, well, you, you, I, I put 10% of all sales into a Perpetual Care Fund. To try and create like an endowment or right. something. to exactly. That's the word. But just, the interest rates have been so pitiful since yeah. the 70s that it doesn't even cover one grass cut. Yeah. You can only spend the interest, uh, which I haven't touched in the last 10 years. Uh, because the actuals, I don't know what a plot cost in yours. I'm guessing a couple thousand dollars. I wish. <laughs> Not that much? We Right now, we we our total service for a new time of need service is $1,350. And that gets you the plot in a hole? In the, in the digging of the grave. Well, how do you make that run for perpetual? Sweat. I mean, you know what I mean? My That's... sweat and tears. <sighs> My dad never earned a penny from it. Really? It was just a service? Well, you know, it is kind of like a ministry. It is. You yeah. you meet a lot of people, and you you can you can be part of once again. I can facilitate a lot of healing, just for a moment. But it yeah. doesn't take, you know. There are moments in your life that you never forget. Yeah, that's definitely one of them. When you lose a loved one. So you feel a responsibility to that. Oh yeah, to yeah. carry that when, on. When I was telling you, when I bought it, the other half I went to, with my mother. Yeah, and we talked about it. And I just felt we 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 decided it was we they had gotten into it in the uh, early seventies, late sixties, and so we talked and we agreed that it was like a family obligation to try to keep it going. So does your son Alvin know this yet? <laughs> well, yeah, but it, I know. And in our talk, I told my mother, I'm not obligating my family to it. I said, yeah. I will I will dedicate I will I will obligate myself sure. to it. But that's a choice that they need to make. I was making a volunteer choice yeah. with her. Yeah. So no, I didn't. I don't believe in. But do you, does is Alvin? I know he's worked. Oh yeah, Alvin. He's helped you he through can the do years everything there. up there if he yeah. wants. You know, and if it comes down to it. Yeah. Oh yeah, you know, like you guys, you know, I had him pair work boots as soon as he. Can. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> if he can play ball, you can put these boots on. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so we. So what happens if somebody comes to you and they don't have a penny? And they got to bury somebody. They're in a time of need. And they just don't have a two pennies. Distraction. Well, now things have changed. Um, you know, the city does have a fund. You can go to the city. The city has a fund. Yeah, and they'll bury you at the city cemetery. Yeah, we, we don't really have a, I have had a couple of, well, let's, let's put it this way. I've had free burials, but it was because people didn't pay. <laughs> okay, so I've had a lot of free burials that people haven't paid because I have never turned anyone down. Yeah. But I do ask them to commit to, to paying for the service. Yeah. Monthly or whatever. But so you, you've you've had a few. Oh yeah, I've had uh, a few. That you've <laughs> that, written uh, off. To, yeah, oh yeah, just basically write it to off. To goodwill and. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But so anyway, that's so that's that's no because. I believe spirit lets you survive what it means for you to do. Yeah. So, but now the the alternative to that now, the, the city still helps 
bury. Yeah. Uh, the fund doesn't cover but about 40% of the expenses to bury. So some of the funeral homes contribute. But now they are just pushing more things toward cremation. A lot less expensive. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because it does add up. Just not the the plot in the digging. There's Fort Hill Cemetery to go over there for the same service that I deliver is about close to $4,000. That's just the cemetery. We haven't talked about the funeral home expenses. Yeah, that's... I mean, that's on that average is about ten for, you know, average funeral. I couldn't believe the cost of a casket when we took my dad. <laughs> we were all just sort of shell shocked. Right. They're telling right. you like how much for that? <laughs> right. And I get that they're nice. There's some of them are beautifully done, but at the time, it's a it's, well, it's, it's a lot right. of money. Yeah, you can you can go from the gamut is big. Yeah, I mean. You could easily be in ten to fifteen thousand dollars for. Oh, funeral. you can twenty twenty five. Yeah, easy. They got a vault that costs ten thousand. Yeah. Are you all? You don't have any buildings. No. Do you, you don't have any of those? Yeah. No. That's one of the reasons we have survived. Kept over here now. So your your costs are cutting grass. Ma- maintenance. Maintenance. Do you get exemption from taxes? No. Are you kidding? You should. Yeah, right. <laughs> why, why, why would you pay taxes? Uh, I, I just, they, just the government, man. The government wants that pound of salt. But you're not really a business. And that's right. I'm basically borderline in the red every year. I get no money for the administrative part of the cemetery that I do. There's no money in the budget, never was. Like I told you, my dad and them never got a cent. So you just, it's a ministry. Mm-hmm. This is part of your life's purpose is to so care to yeah. and facilitate someone's mm-hmm. transition. Mm-hmm. It's called Forest Hill? Is that where you Forest Hill Bird Park, like yeah. forest. See, it was in Campbell County. Then when it got it next, and next, it became part of the city. Yeah. So is it still, I know it was founded to be for... African Americans, is it still mostly? Yeah, yeah. It's all African American. We have one, well, it's, it's still, it's considered African American because we have one, one baby that was brought up there, but it was an integrated couple. But there's no? There are no whites in my cemetery. And that's because no, none come. Right. Not because oh, you're. Oh, yeah. I, you'll, you got the money out. Barry. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't, yeah, I don't even, you know, you don't even think about, you know, your babies and, mm-hmm. yeah, what you must, what you must see on a daily basis. Oh, People yeah. come in there with a lot of pain and grief. And, yes. Are you there around for some of the services? Or are you All of them, pretty you, much. You go to all the services? Well, yeah, I, I, I dig, open and close the graves. Yeah, I'm there. <laughs> you dig them? Yeah. I do everything. A to Z, I do it all. I I thought you were saying earlier that you've only dug a few. By hand. You're saying you dig all of them. I do them all. And you I drop do everything. It, you drop it down. No, well the vault people yeah. usually do that. See? People with the yeah, we require a vault. They had that little machine that 
Yeah. The, or a truck or whatever. They yeah. put it in different vault companies have different ways. But you're there for every service. Yeah. Pretty much. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people you know. Exactly. It's your community. Mm-hmm. Now a lot of people I know because they're my age. Yeah. <laughs> so you do everything. You cut the grass. You dig the hole. Mm-hmm. That's a labor of love. Is it up in their labor? <laughs> I don't know. We, we we can discuss the love part. <laughs> but yeah. Well, I appreciate what you do there. And it never occurred to me. I've never thought. I'm sure a bunch of people have never thought exactly how a cemetery works. Right. And, you know, you kind of assume maybe they made money. Most know. people think that it, they are rich. Because, like you said, you know, you always got business coming. Yeah. But actually, if you think about it, that's why you don't see a lot of cemeteries because they do not make money. Yeah, and you've got land that you could basically never do anything with, right? Because you can't. It's right. not like it's a. You can't get a loan for a cemetery. Yeah, and you can't develop it. Right, you can't get a loan for it because they're not going to repossess it. <laughs> yeah, well, they don't want it. There's no collateral there, buddy. You know. So you've got land that as. Very little value in terms from a market perspective, but right. a lot of value to a lot of families and people right. whose loved ones are buried there. And perpetuity is a long time. It's forever, like you say. Mm-hmm. Well, I appreciate what you do, and I I hope other people who listen appreciate just what a, a labor that is. Because I don't think a lot of people realize. So I appreciate that. Well, yeah. yeah. It's, a, it's a soul for purpose. Yeah. And I appreciate you coming on and, and telling me about what it was like growing up here in Lynchburg and, and, and uh, just what you've seen through the years. And I'm just so glad you, you could join me. Well, like I said, I'm, I'm proud of you. You know, <laughs> I, you, you know I, I love to see our youth, to me, youth. <laughs> okay, I'll take it. Yeah, doing, uh, being, being uh, progressive and uh, enhancing our world. Yeah. Well, thank you for setting the example. Big thank you to Rodney for sitting down and talking with me and just sharing so openly and honestly about what he's experienced in his life. I'm so thankful that he's part of the Lynchburg neighborhood. See you next time. <laughs>